Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. I'm Amir. I'm Charles. And in today's episode, we are going to recap the 2022 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Charles, second race of the season. Verstappen wins. Red Bull gets points on the board. Uh, a lot of exciting racing once again. Any initial thoughts? Well, another great battle between Verstappen and Leclerc. And then this time we got the Ocon uh, Alonso battle. We saw a lot of other good racing as well, but those two battles really stuck out. And, you know, yeah. of course, the Verstappen Leclerc was almost a mirror image of the one from Bahrain. So, yeah. And uh, in the, in the uh, category of battles, hard to believe Mercedes Haas was a fun one too when Hamilton and uh, Magnussen were going at it. But yeah. that's uh, that reflects the just shake surreal. Of the Both of them had not had had gotten screwed by the safety car at that point, I think. But just surreal to see yeah. a Haas battling a Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, just a, a lot of exciting racing. It seems like the regulations are working. The DRS effect was significant. A lot of uh, debate about uh, the DRS and the locking up to not hit the DRS line first. Uh, that was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, still some debate about whether DRS is needed. I think this showed it. It is still. So a lot to talk about there. And then, of course, the relative pace between Red Bull and Ferrari. It's still, <laughs> I think it was utterly confusing to me who's actually quicker at this point. So that's going to be fun to talk about as well. Yeah, it is hard to tell, especially with the different setups with Ferrari reportedly uh, or apparently had a higher downforce setup and Red Bull went with low downforce. So more speed on the straights. Yeah, we're going to talk about all those things. Um, let's start with just going through the classification. Uh, we'll just go through the top 10. So Verstappen with the win. Um, and then you've got the two Ferraris, P2 and P3, Leclerc P2, Sainz P3, Perez, the other Red Bull in P4, Russell coming through in P5. He's having a solid start. Ocon in the Alpine P6. Norris gets the McLarens uh, in the points uh, with a P7. Uh, Gasly, P8 for Alvatari. Magnussen, points for Haas again, P9. And then Hamilton, uh, P10. So Single point. Double points for Mercedes, you know. I guess this season you look for, uh, look for the double points if you're a Mercedes fan. Great um, result for Norris for McLaren, you know. Yeah. Not necessarily overall a great result, but a great result for how their season's been going so far. Yeah, Bahrain looked terrible, um, and the testing didn't look good either. And definitely, yeah, Bahrain did not go well for them, and they didn't. They seemed to lack pace in Bahrain. Yeah. Here they seem to have uh, better pace. Yeah. And, of course, at the front, uh, the natural order was restored, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. Verstappen went from, what, fourth to first, and Perez went from first to fourth. That's right. Well, let's talk about uh, Red Bull a little bit. As you just said, uh, the natural order of things. I was impressed by Perez with his first pole, starting at pole for the first time in 11 years, in his 11-year career. I thought he'd be jittery and kind of blow the start, but he actually had a nice start, held the lead pretty much until, the, until he went into the pits and he had that safety car, really bad luck. But, um, but yeah, he looked good to start off the race. Yeah, he controlled the race from the front for the first stint of the race before the, the first pit stop, and he got kind of baited, or Red Bull got baited into pitting early. I think Ferrari did a dummy stop or something like that. But, yeah, it looked like he had the race in hand. So many confusing things about pace in this race, and that's one of them. Would he have controlled the race from the front but for the safety car? 
Yeah, we'll we'll never know. And just to kind of recap what we're talking about, because he was he was leading until the, I think he went in for a pit around lap 15 or so, and he was leading the race. And then I think right after he came out, or or maybe even while, yeah, I think right after he came out, you get uh, Latifi uh, losing control of his car once again and causing a yellow flag and ultimately a safety car or virtual safety car. So the rest of the field, except for those we'll, we'll talk about who, who didn't take advantage of that, but most of the rest of the field goes in for a pit under the yellow and so loses a lot less time. And he had lost you know the full 25 seconds or whatever it is. So he comes out P... Well, there's, there's a debate over what position he came out in, of course, because he kind of cut off uh, science. But He really um, came out in P4 yeah. because science crossed the line first. But the FIA didn't seem to follow their own rules or be concerned. Let's put it this way. They didn't seem to be concerned with their own rules there. Again, this is another criticism of them that goes back to last year. That just seems like an obviously easy thing to get right. But he comes out in third, even though he's really in fourth, comes out in third. And interestingly enough, even though Red Bull knows they've got to switch it back, even though there wasn't prompting from the FIA, they waited to do that. Or maybe there eventually was prompting. They waited to do that until after the restart. And there's like, were they doing that to protect Verstappen from a possible attack from science at the, at the start? Right. That seems a little, uh, a little cagey, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, not necessarily legal, but a little cagey. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so, yeah, to your question, could Perez have held on if he was at the front? It's hard to picture him not getting caught, maybe ultimately by Max, if, if no one else. Yeah, but the first stint, he looked like he had it in control. And, you know, Leclerc was like two and a half seconds back, something like that for the most part. So it seems like he's he's got the race in, in hand. And it you look at the race, by that point, even the midpoint, it seemed to be their holding station, you know, piece of track position rules. Of course, then we get the battle between Verstappen and Leclerc that sort of says, well, track position doesn't necessarily rule. So, yeah. you know, you, you have to think the way the race was unfolding before the safety car came out, Perez looked like he had it, like he had it under control. That being said, it was the first stint. So was everyone else behind kind of holding spot, preserving the car, waiting for a later opportunity in the race? Who knows? But yeah, it looked a little bit like Perez maybe could have held on. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what uh, what he can do now because it kind of gave you a, a glimpse uh, that maybe he can be at the front uh, winning more races than he has. Yeah, and when, one of those things, like you look back on this race on paper and it just looks like what I had said about natural order, you know. For whatever reason, Perez happened to get pole this time. But yeah, he's back to where you'd expect him in the race. But it's really not that simple if you watch the race. I really think he might have been able to hold on. I mean, who knows? Yeah. By the way, one of our viewers pointed out that you almost called the um, order, the ultimate, at least for the top four in our in our last episode in the race p- preview. Who did you, what was the order you picked? I think I had Leclerc, Verstappen, Sainz, Perez. Okay. So I missed it a little bit. You were only a half second off yeah. in the if, end. If Leclerc had, had a couple more laps, maybe he could have fought back. Yeah. I would have been exactly correct, but right. lucky guess. By the way, did this seem like, I haven't actually looked at the time, but didn't this seem like a super fast race? Just like it went by so quickly once it started. Yeah, I just remember looking up at one point and it was lap 30 out of 50. And it was just like, oh, wow, we're down the we're down the stretch here. It was an exciting race too. Yeah. So, you know, time flies when you're having fun. Exactly. 
So yeah, for Red Bull, big rebound from the double DNF. <laughs> Are you laughing at yourself? Time flies when you're having fun <laughs> like that. Wait, is this like a show for 10 year olds? <laughs> yeah, so great race for Red Bull. Uh, big rebound for them from the double DNF in Bahrain. They get points on the board. Max gets his first win. Perez looks strong. So they've got uh, wind in their sails again, it seems. Verstappen was obviously getting frustrated there a while behind Leclerc, and he became a bit of a, I don't know if I say whiner or tattletale or whatever. Any little minor infringement he could find that Leclerc was making, he was reporting over the radio. And I thought it was funny. And early on, he complained of Leclerc's lights not working. Yeah, I saw that. And Red Bull sort of asked him to confirm that, and he's kind of like, yeah, they're not working. (laughs) (laughs) Getting a little bit of an attitude. But that just shows he's looking for anything he can do to win. You know, he's got almost the best car. He won the world title last year. He's frustrated that he's almost there but just can't quite make the pass or get there, and so he's looking for anything he can do. Last season, that was stuff on the track. That was the dive bombs, the questionable moves, the Mm -hmm. moves he— that were more than questionable that he actually got penalized for. This year, you know, the op- that opportunity isn't there at this time. And actually, the opportunities are there to do that cleanly or, or more cleanly than he had last year. So he takes those when he has them. But when he doesn't have those opportunities, he's going after anything he can. Eventually, he was complaining he was crossing the pit line entry a little bit at, at pit entry. Uh, and then eventually, even in the battle, he finally complained a second time about that. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh man, you're about to pass him here. You know, you almost got it, and you're still focusing on that. He's just looking for every edge. Yeah, but that is again, yeah, like you said, he's looking for every edge, and it just shows they're going to use whatever advantage they can to win, particularly once they get a taste of something like a world title. Yeah, yeah. For Stepin, looks like his uh, sharp, uh, quick self again. Um, I had big hopes for Science in this race, but uh, I noticed Max made quick work of him. I mean, first few turns, he already had passed him. So Science kind of left the door open at the start or near the start, and Verstappen. I, I had in my notes mildly aggressive. He took advantage of the opportunity, but it wasn't like a, a big dive bomb or anything. Yeah. Then of course he had the big battle with Leclerc uh, down the stretch in the in the final laps of the race. And we'll talk about that battle and and some other battles after we go through uh, some of the teams here. So we'll move on to Ferrari now. Uh, P2 and P3 for Ferrari, Leclerc and Sainz. So Ferrari looks like, you know, they are back. They are back at the front and they're going to they're going to contend. As we mentioned earlier, a little bit of a different setup approach than Red Bull. Yeah, Red Bull went for a little lower downforce, higher top speed approach, which would pay off in the race. But there was apparently another setup difference. Perez talked about after qualifying, even after getting pole, talked about how Red Bull had had focused more on the race pace during the the practice sessions. So I think that was, he didn't say explicitly, but I believe that was separate from the fact that they were on a lower downforce setup as compared to Ferrari. You know, of course, this. What would that mean exactly? We're focusing on the race pace more? They give it a, a setup that's more consistent, maybe that that in other words, over 30 laps on a set of tires, this setup okay. will be faster over those 30 laps, whereas another setup might be faster for the first three or four laps, but it loses more pace quickly. It wears the tires out yeah. faster, or something like that. Okay. So both of those factors, those separate factors, where it could have been a different race, you know, setup, or just the part of the setup that's the aerodynamics, the downforce could be a lower downforce levels, actually could have affected, you know, who was faster and who had. Uh, the ability to make the pass for the win like Verstappen did this race. So that confuses the issue about the outright pace between the, the two teams for me. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Ferrari definitely looks like they're they're back. You know, now we've got two races. 
I think we could possibly see this season a battle between Leclerc and Verstappen, similar to what we saw last year between Verstappen and Hamilton. Yeah, it is looking that way. Yeah, I guess all we know at this point is Red Bull and Ferrari are faster than everyone else for sure. Um, but yeah, who's, who's quicker between them remains to be seen. And so far, the natural order. Sainz didn't look like he made much progression in terms of race pace versus Leclerc this race. But you know, then again, too, they weren't that far back. Uh, he and Perez after the safety car stuff. But yeah, natural order to me seemed like the, the Ferrari order right now, Leclerc, Science. It's going to be that way, at least it looks like for a little while longer. Maybe Science can close the gap, like I keep saying, you know, but maybe not. Maybe this is just like we see with Perez and Verstappen. Maybe this is just the natural order and yeah. it will remain so. Yeah. And to your point about how far back uh, Science was at the end. So Verstappen beats Leclerc by something like half a second. Uh, yeah, looks like five and a half tenths. Uh, Science is eight seconds back of Verstappen in P3, and then Perez is 10.8 back. So considerable gap there. And, and that safety car, you know, was, uh, I think it ended around lap 50. I'm sorry, around lap, was that around lap 40 maybe? So in 10 laps, um, Science, you know, and, and Perez fall eight to 10 seconds back. So I guess it's pretty significant. Yeah, actually, now that you say that, that that's a is a pretty significant gap. So it did appear that at least at that portion of the race, uh, that pair was was quite a bit slower than the the front pair of uh, Leclerc and Verstappen. Yeah, well, and I see Russell ended uh, about thirty two plus uh, seconds back. So Perez and Science were well ahead of Russell. So and Perez was pushing to catch Science. He didn't end up getting there uh, quite in time. I don't know if he ran out of time or laps or what. Okay, and uh, speaking of Russell, let's move on to Mercedes. Um, P5 for Russell, P10 for Hamilton. Uh, just crazy how far off the pace he is. Hamilton. Um, he, he, of course, had a long way to go. He benefited by some people's retirements in front of him, too, to get 10th. And he also yeah. got, got sort of screwed by the safety car at one point in the race as well. I don't know why none, none of those guys pitted under the safety car. I don't know if the pits were closed by the time they could or not, but both, I think it was Magnuson and Hamilton were both out there and looking like they were going to finish high only because they hadn't pitted yet. And they had to pit right. then, ending up at least to Hamilton under green. I think Magnuson was able to pit under the virtual safety car, the safety car at that point. Right, and Hamilton and Magnuson both got screwed on the, the first safety yeah, car. Yeah, that was the first one that screwed them, yeah. Yeah, well, they, Hamilton got screwed on the second one as well. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. got screwed on both. He did. It didn't seem to hurt him that bad on the second one, though. He still came out right behind Magnuson. Yeah. That, that, that surprised me when that happened, because as soon as he... As soon as the pits were closed, he couldn't pit until they ended the virtual safety car, which he did, and then he had to pit under and lose all that time under green. Right. Yeah, and on the first one, uh, the 15 lap, uh, or the the lap 15 yellow. He just didn't pit. Well, he, he had started the race on hards, which is another story. I wasn't sure why they did that. Yeah, everyone else, almost everyone else started on mediums. He started on hards. By lap four, he's already complaining they have no grip. Right. But, yeah, for some reason, he and I think Magnuson and somebody else didn't pit under the first safety car, and it, it was Botas at that point, didn't pit under the first safety car, and I didn't understand, understand why. I guess, yeah, that was it. But everyone else was putting hards on. I mean, would mediums have gone the length of the race at that I point? I think that was the issue. They started yeah. on the hards, so they had to go to a softer compound, and if at lap 15, they need something that's going to last the, the remaining 35 laps, so they just... Yeah. I guess they just couldn't. Or and else. they got to go to the mediums. I mean, of course, the mediums are going to last the longest, too. But apparently the softs were pointless for the race this weekend. They were only marginally faster 
than the mediums. And of course, they probably don't last nearly as long as the mediums. Right. And then on the, the late yellow, as you said, I think initially uh, the pit entry was closed because one or two of the cars had pulled over close to the pit entry. Yeah. And they're actually pushing them into the well, pits the, or one of them. The yeah. incident that was causing the virtual safety car was that. So in other words, once it's clear, this virtual it, safety car's over. So yeah, it, the pits aren't going to be open until the, the yeah, car's clear. Exactly. So that that was kind of the break Hamilton needed was a late uh, yellow to duck into the pits and, and get his tires, but uh, not it didn't work out. So yeah, it looks like Mercedes is a solid third, well behind Ferrari and Red Bull at this point. Russell actually said that, and this surprised me, 99% of Mercedes' problems is still porpoising. Really? Yeah. Again, I think Mercedes is the only team really still talking about that in any detail, but that it surprised me even when Russell said it. Yeah. So they're still struggling, obviously, which may, you know, maybe when they overcome that, they can then close the gap, at least, at least part of it to Red Bull and Ferrari. But right now, yeah, they're, they're a bit behind and they do seem to be a bit ahead of, you know, fourth on down. Yeah, and maybe the porpoising issue is kind of what you, what you alluded to in our last episode, I think, um, which is you may not see the porpoising anymore because they've made other compromises to reduce the porpoising, but overall, it's it's the porpoising is driving the reduction in performance because they're they're having to work around it, even if even if you're not seeing it, yeah, it, it's causing them to make other sacrifices. Yeah, so that's actually encouraging because that means if they can properly fix the porpoising issue. You know, they really might be able to pick up some pace. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to Alpine. P6 for Ocon. Uh, Alonzo retired late in the race. I can't remember exactly where he was running at the time, but it was up there. I think he was he was in the top 10, maybe around yeah. around P6, P8, something like Alpine that. Alpine looked like, yeah, I think it was P6 or 7, yeah. Alpine looked like a solid fourth place team, a bit yeah. ahead of Alpha and Haas and those behind him. Uh, Botas did, you know, end up catching and battling with Ocon Alonso, but I think that was more about the battle Ocon Alonso was having. I think without that, if they had held station and not been fighting each other, I don't think that Alpha had quite as much race pace as Alpine. So yeah. Alpine now does seem to be maybe, maybe at least from this race, a solid fourth, at least at this kind of track. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you mentioned that uh, battle between uh, Ocon and Alonso. That was one of the great battles of the race. Like maybe, maybe the best. I mean, of course, Leclerc and Verstappen was for the lead, um, and at the end of the race. But it was just so much back and forth. And the fact that it was between teammates just added that extra dimension or precariousness to it. It seemed like even closer between them than it was between Verstappen and Leclerc, if you can even say that. But it did seem like they were just darting back and forth and swapping. And it was a it was a great battle. Alonzo or Ocon almost put Alonzo into the wall. Actually, I don't think anything Ocon did was wrong. I think he had closed the gap enough where it wasn't there. But Alonzo still kind of went over there and looked for it, and that almost kind of kind of put him in the wall. But I think Palmer even said Ocon, you know, was a little bit over the limit there. I disagreed. I thought he was he was okay. Well, apparently Alonzo was asked about it after the race and said, "No, I loved it. Uh, it was good, <laughs> hard, fair racing." This so. is why he's back for that. You know, <laughs> of course he wants to win another world title, but this is why Alonzo's back is for that kind of. That kind of action. Yeah, although in the paddock, I think at the garage, maybe the Alpine uh, team was sweating it a little bit because it just looked in a few places like there was there was going to be trouble between them. Well, and it was fun for us to watch, but ultimately it wasn't good good for the team. You know, they that their back and forth allowed Botas to catch them, and then of course once they did tell Ocon 
to hold station, the two of them, Alonzo and Ocon, had probably damaged their tires, certainly probably more than Botas behind them had mm-hmm. by their battle. And then that allows, I don't know if it was that or something else, uh, allowed DRS, Botas yeah. to get by Ocon. So it really would have been better for them to tell them to hold station from the beginning. But for viewers and us, it was great. It was. Yeah, you're right. I think Botas was uh, two or three seconds behind, right, uh, kind of when they started battling. So not in DRS range. And and uh, yeah, but they slowed themselves down enough and he gets in DRS range and ultimately passes Ocon. This battle highlights the change in the rules with regard to giving a place back. Numerous times, Ocon ended up having to cut one of the corners and came out ahead of Alonso and he gave the place back at some point. They don't no longer warn the drivers to do that. So it's up to the driver to decide whether he should give the place back or not. The wrinkle there is that it will be looked at after the race. So if you decide you don't have to give the place back as a driver, they may penalize you, and the result will probably be worse for you than if you had just given the place back during the race. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a self-policing thing, but really you're going to pay for it if you make the wrong decision anyway, so you probably ought to err on the side of giving the place back. But that does highlight the change in the rules with that for this year. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And, of course, ultimately the, the battle between them was moot because both Alonzo and Botas retired, so it that's really right. didn't matter anyway. So I'm glad we got to see it rather than uh, Alpine you know, doing, a, doing what was actually better for the team. Yeah, agreed. So Ocon ended up finishing P6, which again shows that's about fourth place in the constructors. You've got Mercedes, uh, Russell ahead of him, and then you have the pair of Ferrari drivers and the pair of Red Bull drivers ahead of him. So yeah, fourth place, great result for Alpine right now, I think. you know They want to be up in that top three, but they're, they're clearly not there yet. And right now, nobody is except for Red Bull and, and Ferrari. So it does show progression. I think uh, so far, uh, you know, that's a pretty good result for Alpine. Yeah, agreed. So the, the P6 for Ocon, as you mentioned, and uh, in Bahrain the week before, he was P7. Uh, Alonso was P9 in Bahrain and, and would have been, you know, P6 or P7, but yeah. for the retirement here. So, uh, yeah, as you said, solidly, it looks like they're fourth and uh, off to a good start here. Okay, so we'll move on to McLaren. P7 for Norris. Uh, Ricardo retired. I don't recall what position he was running in when he retired. I don't either. Kind of an anonymous race. I know he retired along with a whole lot of other people or two or three other people on the same lap or the same couple laps. Yeah, that was odd, like lap 35 or 36 or something. Yeah, but Norris's result, seventh. I think this kind of begs the question, you know, last weekend, last race, McLaren just didn't seem to even have any pace. Norris now finishes in what would be sort of fifth in the Constructors' Championship, fifth fastest. But we've been talking, you know, since after testing or during testing about Alfa Romeo and Haas and how well they're doing. So has McLaren solved enough of their problems where they've moved up to be at the level of pace to Haas and Alfa Romeo? Or is this just a one-off for this race? You know, we need more information on that. This does show some evidence of McLaren moving up to maybe – join that mid that true middle midfield battle right so you've got you've got them decidedly behind alpine though along with haas and alfa romeo i feel like for for one thing the beginning of this race and alonzo retiring Ocon obviously finishing higher um and then i'm just going off recollection and impressions from the first race yeah i feel like alpine well they definitely showed more than mclaren alpine did but i feel like in the first race they showed enough to be up there with haas and, and alfa romeo I feel like in this race, they showed that they're actually higher than them. We talked yeah. about that actually in last episode, in the last recap episode. We talked about that how Alpine was again like fifth, sixth in the Constructors' Championship, 
but we were kind of rating them below Alpha and Haas at that point. Now it looks like they're actually ahead of Alpha and Haas, at least from this race. Yeah, so McLaren gets some points on the board, a little uh, sign that maybe they have maybe they are up there in the midfield fight, um, and, and certainly a good recovery from their first race woes. But, yeah, um, but even in P7, with Ricardo's being retired, it was still a little anonymous. We were talking about McLaren, and we went right back to Alpine. So I think, yeah, uh, yeah again, but it is, it is encouraging the seventh place. And, you know, now we can look at McLaren and hope for, hope for a little more in the coming races. Yeah. But it's crazy, Ricardo just being uh, a non-factor so far. P14 at Bahrain, and now the retirement. We know, um, he, you know, we know he had a lot of issues before Bahrain yeah. and missed a lot of track time. You know, but you know, you get a couple more races in, and that shouldn't be an issue anymore. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, I'm, you know, when when Ricardo joined McLaren, I really expected more. I mean, I, I thought he was just going to come in and 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 show that Norris maybe wasn't quite the golden boy that he was looking like. And it looks like the opposite's true. Norris is really showing his his talent, and Ricardo just hasn't been able to catch up yet. Yep. Yet, we'll see. Yep. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's move on to AlphaTauri. Uh, we got uh, P8 for Gasly, and then Sonoda did not even start the race. Had technical issues in the formation lap, and he he did have some issues during qualifying, as I recall as well. So, really bad weekend for Sonoda. Um, after well, the, the, the qualifying was fuel pump again stuff, right? That they were mm. we were questioning as to whether it was the same thing that had taken the Red Bulls out mm-hmm. in Bahrain. Uh, I don't know uh, what this was, though, if this was another engine-related, fuel-related thing. Yeah, but AlphaTauri, almost anonymous to me as well. Uh, yep. Gasly, you know, obviously did pretty well. But, you know, I keep saying this now, doing pretty well, making progress, looking great. Mm-hmm. I'm sounding like the commentators describing a NASCAR race. You know, strong run in 20th today, you mm-hmm. know, 20th. Right. You know, Now there's 40 people in the race, but still. Is it ever a strong run in 19th, 20th? So... AlphaTauri, really, you know, we, we've already talked about fourth, now maybe fifth, sixth in the Constructors' Championship, you know, with, with Haas and Alfa Romeo. So are they seventh? Seventh doesn't sound so good, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's in, what, you said eighth, ninth? He finished in eighth or ninth? Gasly was P8, P8. and Sonoda was P8 in week one in Bahrain. Yeah. So maybe they are fourth, yeah, or maybe P8 they're fighting is for more fourth. fourth, fifth, yeah. yeah. I guess what this really shows, it's probably going to change race to race. And and I think we did talk about in qualifying how that fourth to seventh or four, actually fourth to eighth in the championship seemed really tight. Yeah, I, I, the pendulum's going to swing from races and tracks, you know, who suits them better and that and just other factors. So maybe that's all we're seeing, you know. I do really think Alpine, though, is starting to show their high, mm-hmm. you know, they're maybe a bit above the rest of the midfield. Um, and it does look like Haas and Alfa Romeo, or at least right now, able to scrap up there with Alpine. It'll be interesting to see, though, if they can hold it as the development cycle continues through the season. All right. Well, on that point, let's move to Haas. P9 for Magnussen. Uh, Schumacher, of course, did not start the race because he had that terrible, scary crash um, during, was that, that was qualifying. It wasn't practice, was it? Yeah, it wasn't qualifying. Yeah. Um, so he was okay, thankfully, but caused um, a bit of stir regarding the safety of the track. Yeah, though, you know, anytime you get a lengthy red flag in qualifying, it doesn't make people people very happy. Right. So some more points for uh, Haas at P at Magnuson's P nine, and great start to the season for Magnuson, who, as we know, stepped in here in the last week or two before the season. P five in week one, now a P nine. Haas is up there fighting it out in the midfield. 
Um, and we talked about in qualifying how this is a, a particularly difficult track for a, he's not a new driver, but doesn't have a lot of recent experience to jump into and do well. Also, mm. the P9 is a bit misleading because he had True. that issue under the safety car that also hurt Hamilton. Now that I think about it, maybe Haas is up there with Alpine. No, but they weren't. They weren't they uh, the quite up with Alpine during the race, um, mm. even before the before the retirements. So, yeah, but P9 actually maybe is a little better than, than it looks because of those issues. Yeah, but Haas definitely in the uh, midfield fight this season and can continue to develop the car. And hopefully this season, the you know the spending limits help keep things uh, from getting you know too stratified because the teams that have you know endless resources can't just develop their way to the front and outspend all the other teams. So well, we're seeing that with Mercedes, right? In other, yeah, in other maybe years, so with the porpoising. they start behind. They can throw a little more resources at, instead of maybe at next year's car right now, or you know, this little bit for next year's car. But they can throw more resources at it and then catch up in the development cycle. But now they, it's not as easy to do that. That's a really interesting point, and it also um, kind of highlights the fact that they must be trying to balance the resources they're putting into fixing this issue compared to developing next year's car right. well, or, or developing or, later in the season. As, right. Developing yeah. this year's car. Right? Yeah. They're having to fix a problem rather than just refine what they've, what they've yeah. got. Yeah. And so they've got to stay under the spending limit. And this is an early um, issue that's requiring spending. So, yeah. so uh, that should help the teams that got it a little right at the beginning of the season, Haas and Alfa Romeo, as compared to where they were prior seasons, that might help them stay up there. Yeah. All right, well, that about does it for Haas. Let's move on to Alfa Romeo. P11 for Joe. Botas had to retire late in the race. He was part of that group retirement, it seemed, around lap 35, 36. Um, so, but decent showing, P11 for the rookie, Joe, uh, following a P10 last year. So, uh, I'm sorry, last week or the week before. So, just missing out on points this time in P11. But uh, Alpha, yeah, with Botas having a P6 in week one and was running pretty strong until the retirement, you know, they've got to be feeling decent about how things are starting. Showing, showing great pace, yeah, looking, at least in this race, just behind Alpine maybe. And then, you know, of course, when Alpine had any, any little hiccup, the two battling, that allowed Botas to close and fight him. So that's, that's good pace. They look like they're right up there in the fight for fourth, fifth, and sixth, like, like we've been talking about. I think the biggest takeaway for me for Alpha this weekend was the clutch issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, This Mm -hmm. time it was Joe that had them, but they had clutch issues again. It ended up tripping his anti-stall. He had a real difficult first few corners, Mm -hmm. but the clutch issues seems like it could be an ongoing problem for Alpha. Yeah, so Botas had a terrible start in Bahrain the first week. That was a clutch issue. Yeah, that was a clutch issue. It had to do with something of the clutch vibrates or something, and like he, Botas said last weekend, 50% of the time the clutch vibrates and that causes it to him to get wheel spin. And I think that's what happened to Joe this time too. And then the wheel spin had something to do with kicking in the anti-stall. Obviously, if the clutch is struggling to grab, the engine's going to want to stall and that's going to kick the, the anti-stall in. So it, it, it really hurt the beginning of Joe's race. Yeah. I don't know how many positions he lost. But I think he went all the way um, back to – I think he started – in P13, and then the first turn, yeah, he there was he had that issue, and I think he fell down to like P19 or something hmm. in the first few turns. Um, so he really fought his way back to P11, which 
is encouraging with the help of a few retirements. Yeah. But. but a solid a solid drive. You know, we don't expect him to be matching Botas at this point. And, you know, Botas seems to be really operating uh, at a high level, as we keep saying. He does. Um, so, but Joe seems a little bit closer this weekend than he was last weekend. And if we keep seeing that, the progression closer, I don't know that we can expect him to match Botas in his first year, considering how well I think Botas is driving and how good I think Botas is overall. But, you know, as long as we see that progression, and we saw it this week, and I think that looks looks good. Yep. Well, let's move on to uh, Aston Martin. P12 for Hulkenberg, P13 for Stroll. So Hulkenberg starting, of course, his second race because Vettel still has COVID or hadn't tested positive or hadn't tested negative, I guess, for the virus. So Hulkenberg here just jumping in on a temporary basis, second race, and beats Stroll, which is kind of surprising. Yeah, Hulkenberg is good. You know, mm-hmm. and Stroll's good too, but I mean, Hulkenberg, he seems like for some reason he doesn't struggle to be the, to substitute. He, he, he jumps right in the car and appears to get, you know, up to speed pretty quickly. I think that's what we're seeing is they're, you know, they're both going to be fairly close when Hulkenberg's able to operate at a, you know, at a good level straight off. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they're just Aston Martin again, anonymous. I keep using that term and I got to stop, but you know, again, there's just nothing notable about their weekend I feel like yeah I just didn't notice that much and I have very little written about them you know that I want to touch base on it just you know it's kind of like Williams was other than how bad Williams was there wasn't much to talk about with them during those those years and I feel like Aston might be falling to that let's hope they can fix whatever their problem is we also got to remember that a lot of the teams struggling have Mercedes engines this could indicate that Mercedes isn't quite at the level horsepower they were with Red Bull and Ferrari, that, that Red Bull and Ferrari have reached at least anymore. Obviously, they used to be the gold standard in motor. Yep. Maybe they're suffering a little bit on that, or something to do with the motor is causing other problems. For example, you know, if, if Williams and Aston Martin, who are struggling, are also struggling still with porpoising, maybe the package of the Mercedes motor mm-hmm. is causing an aerodynamic problem that's hard to, to, to fix, whereas other teams you know, could move stuff around or their engine sat in a different way or whatever. I don't know. I'm yeah. speculating. Who knows? But we do have to remember that all the Mercedes teams are struggling from what they normally do. So that could be all of it or at least a big part of it right there. But Aston Martin, the season has not started very well for them. I think that's just clear. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Although you're hurting our chances of getting Mercedes sponsorship with all of this talk uh, for the podcast. But uh, <laughs> but no, uh, to that point, there's four teams that are powered by Mercedes. Of course, the Mercedes team, Aston Martin, Williams, and McLaren. And yeah, they're all struggling uh, in the first uh, weeks of the season here. Certainly the power unit seems to have something to do with that. But Aston Martin, I guess if there's a, if there's a silver lining, is it um, reliability that they've both, both cars have finished both of the first yeah, two races? I mean, that's, that's something there. And, and they did, Hulkenberg started P18, finished P12. A bunch of retirements helped that out. Um, Stroll started P15, finished P13. So yeah, a strong P12, a strong <laughs> P13, right. you know, good, consistent run to the finish. In 22nd. Okay, so Aston Martin, room for improvement. Um, let's move on to Williams, and uh, really bad weekend for Williams. Both cars, DNF, um, Latifi into the wall on lap yeah. 16, which of course, Charles, <laughs> raises raises the question, is Latifi a pay driver? My head <laughs> is hung low. I have, in all caps in my notes, Latifi crashes again, exclamation point. 
I want to point out, and I think we will eventually hopefully do a, a Racing Gods episode as the gods of racing helped Red Bull out at the end of last season. It was Nicholas Latifi who unfortunately and accidentally crashed that brought the, the gods justice uh, mm-hmm. upon Verstappen and gave him a world title. But Latifi this week, and it's just the reverse. He crashes again, but the gods have now favored Ferrari, I guess, at this point, instead of Red Bull, right? I mean, you know, the the crash at the end of last season brought out the safety car that allowed Verstappen to then pass uh, Hamilton on the restart. Well, this safety car screwed Perez, who is in the front, controlling the race from the front. At least it looked like that. Latifi crashes, and it knocks Perez down and, and hands the, you know, hands the lead, at least at that point in the race, to Ferrari. So reverse situation, karma's coming back, you know. Yep. The God's favor is going to switch back and forth. Yep, that makes sense. Didn't he also crash in qualifying this yeah. weekend? Yeah, no, yeah, because yeah. we talked about that in the we qualifying talked about recap that in qualifying. about how my pay yeah. driver thing is. He's still not a pay driver, right? unless they're all pay drivers. Right. But <laughs> you're saying he belongs. I am He's anxiously just... awaiting the qualifying session when Latifi has a clean run He's very talented. I, yeah. There's just no no, you've no debating that. that. Yeah. And we've, we've proved that he belongs there to whatever extent. But I'm waiting for the explicit evidence to come out of that that right. backs me up a little. Come on, back me up a little here, Latifi. Right. If you want to hear Charles the whole Charles's whole uh, vigorous defense of Latifi and why he's not a pay driver, check out our uh, Williams team preview from earlier in the season. And you can also find the discussion on uh, YouTube. And Albin also with the retirement, um, although he was actually um, running P12 at the time he retired, um, was last couple of laps, and he tried to make a move on Stroll, um, and they collided, and Albin ha- ended up retiring. So running in P12. Yeah, uh, but that's really P14, right, at that point? Right, probably. with the other retirements, yeah. So again, yeah, that looks they look like they were right along Aston Martin's pace. Yeah, pace, Pace-wise, they're struggling, and then, of course, they have – have had lots of other issues as well. Yep. Well, that kind of rounds it out for the team. Should we take a peek at the constructors' standings? Because we've kind of talked about where we think the teams are. Um, yeah, let's but see the if official that, standings. Yeah. See if our impressions bear out what the what the data says. Well, well, they won't, but because of <laughs> uh, you know some some interesting events. But Ferrari commanding lead um, in first place with seventy eight points. Mercedes and still in, hanging on to second place in the constructors' standing standings with 38 points uh red bull now after having zero points from the double dnf in the first week now 37 points uh this weekend so they're they're just a point behind mercedes and they're the real second place team or they're really up uh with first place no points first week just really hurts um red bull now with this deficit 40 point deficit to start the season off basically but if, if Mercedes struggles even two, three, four more races to get up to speed, Red Bull will make that up. Oh, yeah. I was even looking past Mercedes. I was looking at Red Bull relative to Ferrari and just saying Red Bull just coughed up, you know, 40 points yeah. week one. Yeah, that's difficult to swallow. And Verstappen even mentioned that at the end of that, after that race, how this could affect the, you know, the championships because it was so close last year. When those things happen in the middle of the year, you don't think about them that much until the end of the year. Yeah. And I think he was already looking forward to that you know problem but you know it's a long season there's like 23 races or at least 22 now right so 22 yep. races we're two in we still have 20 more races to go yep and there's plenty of time for red bull to catch back up if they really do have a, an advantage you know they're gonna it's gonna eventually show itself with the points yeah 
Um, so after Red Bull at third, in third place, you've got Alpine in fourth place, as you had said, solid, solid fourth place. Haas hanging on to fifth uh, with 12 points, and then Alfa Romeo sixth with nine points. And then you've got Alphatari and McLaren. I mean, the points get kind of, you know, they're real thin at the bottom. So I don't yeah. know if that's any, if that's real, but. Um, well, in some ways, it's so early in the season. Yeah. You know, points wise, I don't know. You don't even need to look at them for a little while. Yeah, exactly. If you don't want to. Right. So, okay. So that's a look at the official constructor standings. Should we touch on the driver standings? Yeah, I think we should. Because, you know, we're probably seeing the same thing with Verstappen missing all those points from the first race. You know, Leclerc's probably got a good, good advantage on him. How do, yep. they, how do they stack up? Yeah, so Leclerc uh, in first place with 45 points. Sainz uh, in second place, 33 points. Verstappen, P3 with 25 points. And Russell, P4, 22 points. And Hamilton still hanging on to uh, fifth place uh, with 16 points. And so where's the other Red Bull? Uh, Perez uh, at, at seventh place uh, with 12 points. Yeah, with only the fourth place this past weekend and the retirement in the first weekend, yeah, Perez is going to be a bit behind right now. Yeah. So, yeah, early on, hard to read into the standings too much, but that's where we are right now. Well, let's talk about some of the other uh, just general highlights from the race. You know, one thing we talked about after the first race was, are the rule changes uh, helping the racing? Are they closer, you know, is the, is the racing closer, more exciting? And we thought so in race one. And I think that continued in race two so far. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the rules have definitely allowed the cars to follow closer. Yeah. Now, they haven't necessarily allowed them to then make the pass, right? You have to be able to follow closer to be able to make the pass. But just because you can follow closer doesn't mean you necessarily can make the pass. Yeah. But I think we'll get into that, maybe explain that a little bit better just to go to this battle, I mean, it was very similar to the battle in the first race between the two of them. This time, Leclerc again tried the Leclerc to get... Leclerc-Verstappen battle. Yeah, yeah, this time again, Leclerc did the same thing by trying to get Verstappen to go over the DRS line first so that Leclerc could then let him get the pass but then just fight right back and get it right back on the next, next straight. And he did. He was successful doing that once, but the second time, Verstappen's like, no, I'm not doing that this time. And basically has to slam on the brakes and lock up all four wheels. They right. both slammed on the brakes to yeah. not be first, but Verstappen just lit up all his tires, and it worked. <laughs> he, right. he crossed the line he got second. The RS. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Charles Leclerc you know, tried it, and finally Verstappen said, "You know, we're not doing it four times in a row. We're not doing five times in a row. Whatever, whatever it was." You know, so you, you assume, I assumed right then that Verstappen would have hurt his tires, but he eventually. Verstappen is eventually able to make the pass by getting a, a good run out of the last corner. And then, of course, I think Leclerc was starting to struggle with his rear tires, mm-hmm. which, again, is a bit counterintuitive because at the end of the race, Verstappen kind of tried to explain this maybe you can follow but you can't pass thing. If you can follow, why can't you, you pass yet? And he was saying, of course, there's going to be less slipstream than there used to be, so that's a bit part of it. But he was saying that the person following their tires get worn faster. Just when like you used to be fighting to stay within that DRS zone or get within that DRS zone um, and you would wear out your tires. So instead you just sat a second and a half back from the guy and waited for a pit stop or, or whatever. Yeah. So from Verstappen's point of view, now the new rules, they do let you follow closer, but he still thinks that the tires still get, you know, basically worn or destroyed from the following driver, I think particularly the rears, which then, mm. of course, 
you know, hurts you on passing because you can't get that traction out of the corner to get the better, better jump or better exit. Yep. You know, that after you thing, that trying to let everyone else get to the line first, you battle between the two of them. The DRS detection line. Yeah, the DRS detection line. That's a new strategy element, right? So we've said this. They can follow, but they can't necessarily pass. And one reason, as Verstappen said, might be that you your tires get worn out in the following. Even though you can follow closer, your tires still get worn out when you are following. Maybe that is part of it. The less slipstream hurts a bit as well. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like they can pass without the DRS. So the new mm. rules have allowed them to follow closer, but they can't necessarily pass because of that. But the DRS lets them pass. Mm-hmm. So we're getting this exciting, close racing. We're getting you know a little bit of back and forth swapping action. That's great, right? We should love that, right? Yep. Here's the thing. like Maybe... It's not that they can't pass because of the tires or whatever. Maybe they can't pass because Red Bull and Ferrari are that tight. If they're that yeah. close where you can't get an advantage out of the last corner, the only time you're going to be able to pass without DRS yeah. is if somebody makes a mistake coming out of the corner on a lap that you put it together. But see, that's not going to be lap after lap racing like we're seeing. The DRS is basically allowing us to see this really this, these big battles and these, these longer battles. We should say, you know, so again, again, it still seems like DRS is necessary. It's giving us that. And then we can get, get into whether the, the balance between is that too much show or, mm-hmm. you know, how fast are you have to be to get to pass somebody. So is it that, that the new rules have allowed the cars to follow closely, but they haven't gone far enough to allow them to then make the pass. So there's still some fundamental thing about the arrow of these cars that blocks the pass without DRS or is it just that Ferrari and Red Bull are so tight? Do we have to look to battles elsewhere in the field between adjacent teams in the constructor standings to see if they could maybe pass without DRS or if DRS gives them a bigger advantage and makes it even easier? Mm-hmm. You know, right now, clearly, DRS is, is giving us this exciting racing, but is it necessary for that? You know, it might be that you find you get it to a point where a team is two or three tenths quicker, and that's enough to make the pass because you can follow closely, you know, and that makes sense. That's natural. But you still won't see the big back and forth battles because only one team is faster than the other. So it still seems to me like the the argument for DRS is, is very strong just on that alone. We are starting to see that it doesn't look like you can pass, you can follow. Although, again, that could be wrong. It could just be that these two teams are so tight. We can look to the Alpine example. Of course, they're in the same car, so they're really going to be tight. But they seem to be able to not need DRS necessarily to swap positions as much. The Alonzo Ocon battle earlier went on, the, yeah, for several laps race, early yeah. in the race, yeah. So I think that the evidence isn't the jury's not out, so to speak, because there are some complicating factors. But it's starting to look that the new rules have allowed them to follow, but not necessarily make the pass, and that DRS is then still necessary for that. Yeah. But even beyond that, even if DRS wasn't necessary for them to make the pass anymore, even if these teams are tight, but otherwhere in the field, you got an advantage, you can put it together and make the pass, even without DRS, DRS is giving this new strategy wrinkle, mm-hmm. which we have to decide, is that enough for it to be there? You know, I don't, we're not going to see DRS go away anytime soon, but this is the discussion we're going to have continually now that the rules have shown that you can follow. Yeah, I was going to say, what you're getting at is basically, okay, now that we've got the new rules, the newly designed cars, and we see they can race closer, 
is DRS still necessary or, or should it be, you know, backed off a bit? Um, but the drivers so far reporting, you can dr- follow more closely, but you can't really pass without the DRS. Without the DRS, yeah. Um, of course, you know, if one car outmatches the other by a lot, of course you can pass, but we're talking roughly, you know, evenly matched cars are having a difficult time and, passing without DRS. And we're kind of talking about that balance between what that gap has to be between the cars to let them pass versus how much of this maybe somewhat artificial passing we went on. You know, this isn't going to really affect how who finishes ahead of who, but it's going to affect how many times they swap positions before the order comes out. Mm-hmm. I, I, in my say this, I mean DRS, whether it's there or not. Yeah. You know, if one team's a tenth faster without DRS, that team is probably still going to show that they're the best and win. But if you put a DRS in there, they're still probably going to win, but then maybe four or five passes for the lead before they, you know, end up taking that one-tenth advantage and making it work for them. Yeah, it makes, it makes me think about, well, what was the original goal of DRS? And I don't actually quite know the answer to that, but I imagine it was more you want to you wanna let a, a quicker car pass a slower car that's in front of it um, even if it only has a smaller edge, you don't want to give track position that much dominance. Exactly. You want to let the quicker car yeah. pass. But now it's turned into, well, you're also going to let that car that gets passed maybe battle back. Yeah. Um, and that's very exciting. But is that just Where do you draw the line? Yeah. yeah. Do, We've moved that, more that direction. Yeah. And where do you eventually stop the line where this is too artificial and, and too, we're too jazzing it up versus, you know, we're making it too hard for the team that actually should get better. Yeah, but, but yeah, you're right. DRS's purpose was exactly that. You had to be like a second and a half a lap faster than a car to pass. So this is meaning not, not trying to make people that are slower be able to pass, you know, it's or be able to win when they shouldn't. Yeah. It's to allow that t- car to actually get by somebody they're just faster than. And right. then, of course, that's going to breed better racing between people that are close anyway. But the debate is now switched to whether we need it at all. And it's that's the the question is how much action do we want versus how much do we want there to be a real sporting chance for the better team to win the race? Yeah. No, it's definitely the action is great, but it's also I can understand kind of the purest. Uh, view that maybe you know a pitcher's duel where one team wins one to zero can be just as exciting as uh you know a game that ends 10 to 9 or something like that that's a a great point that's a great analogy yeah so yeah as the year unfolds we'll really see what drs is actually doing or is it actually allowing the pass or like i said are those two teams just so tight that we think it's letting the pass maybe it's letting a little a few more of them in but like i said even if DRS isn't the thing that's allowing the pass. It's still now allowing this new strategy wrinkle. So that might be enough that people want to keep that in there because that's almost similar to, you know, which tires you take or how early you stop or if you try the undercut or, you know, it's a straight up strategy decision. And I think that's really, really neat too. So even if it's not the part that's helping the passing, maybe we still want it in there for that. Yeah, no, I I agree. And it's going to be, it's kind of like we're all, watching how this develops along with the teams and along with the FIA and, you know, just yeah, everyone seeing how this will play out with the new rules. And and I don't think we, it doesn't seem just on like impression right now that we have moved too far to that sensationalism end of the spectrum because I don't see a whole lot of people. I'm certainly not complaining about the two great battles we have seen at the front. Yeah. And I don't feel like there's any indication of, ugh, 
the faster team didn't win here because they can just swap like like a drafting battle between cars. As long as you stay in the slipstream, you can win the race, even if you're not the fastest car. I don't think we're seeing that. I think, you know, this race, Red Bull deserved the win. Last race, Ferrari deserved the win. Yeah. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. You know, the the, the wrinkle with the um, hitting the brakes to try to pick up DRS, um, I mean, that suggests they're, they'd rather have the DRS than be in front going out of the turn, which to me kind of suggests maybe the DRS is doing too much there. But maybe overall, it still is, you know, serving the sport. Yeah. And, um, and ultimately, it's not going to dictate the outcome of the it, race. In a way, it's just a little bit more of a, a little more artificial or a little more exaggerated version of the normal undercut. There are some times when you go into a corner and a, a person passes you on the inside, and then you basically let them break so late that they get a horrible exit, and then you just cut underneath them at the exit of the corner, and you end up in the front at the end of the next straight anyway. Mm-hmm. So this is just like, this is, that's literally what they're doing. They're trying to let the other person go first, blow it on the brakes, and then they get out with DRS the next straight. I mean, it's very similar. Yeah. So it's, but again, you're using a mechanism to create that instead of just, I'm putting the car here, letting him blow it and cutting underneath him. Right. It is a little more artificial in that sense, but you can see it as a, a just a version of the same thing, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. I see what you're saying. Well, it'll be interesting, as you said, to see how that uh, develops as the season goes on. No doubt Verstappen's going to be trying to get every edge he can, as you, as you mentioned earlier. And uh, I'm hoping my, uh, my man Hamilton can find some pace going forward here because that's it's getting a little disheartening. Yeah, it was nice to see Verstappen get the win, but he's becoming a bit of a tattletale, and it's not the greatest look right. for him. Yeah, even in, even when they were battling in the last two laps, like you know, 180 miles an hour, he's like, he crossed the line again. Yeah. He crossed the pit line again. <laughs> like it was literally the last few laps of the race. He's like funny. grasping for technicalities now. You know? Yeah, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, whatever you can get. All right, well, that will do it for us today. Thank you for joining us at the F1 Runoff Area Podcast. Keep an eye out for our next episode where we're going to discuss Race 3, the Australian Grand Prix. See you later.